Welcome to the Clovercrest Baptist Church podcast. For more information about Clovercrest Baptist Church, go to clovercrest.com.au. years of age when my best mate uh, Graham invited me to be part of a life group. Now, a life group might not be a term that you're familiar with, but pretty much it's a Bible study. It's an opportunity for people to go deeper uh, in their faith in a smaller group of people. And uh, Graham said, hey, I want you to come along to this. It happens every fortnight on a Tuesday. Now, my Tuesdays looked pretty normal as a year 10 student. You know, I'd catch the bus to school for half an hour, hang out at school, and then I'd go home. But by coming to a life group, that was going to bring a change to my fortnightly rhythm. My rhythm, as I said, looked like I'd catch the bus to school, hang out at school, go home, but then I'd catch the bus back pretty much to where my school was. Now, the journey was 30 minutes each way. So pretty much when I came back for, for life group, I'd be coming 30 minutes back towards the school area, get off the bus, walk a couple of hundred metres, get to my best mate's house, sit in his lounge room for about 15 minutes. His dad would come in and say, all right, boys, it's time to go. We'd jump in the car, we'd drive to life group, and that's where we would hang out. Now, I would repeat this rhythm fortnightly for a couple of months before uh, Graham's mum stepped into a conversation one day we're having in the lounge room before going to life group. I'm sitting there, she comes into the space and she goes, look, how about like you just don't go home after school? It's a bit crazy that you go 30 minutes home, then come 30 minutes back when you kind of live, we live pretty close to the school. How about you just jump in our car after school, come to our house and have dinner with us and then go off to life group together. Now, I was a little bit hesitant. You know, you're 16 years of age. Uh, I haven't really committed to any regular dinner rhythm other than my own family. But I thought, like, why not? Like, what's the worst that's going to happen? It's going to save me uh, 30 minutes at least a day of going back and forth on a bus. So that's what I decided to do. So roll around to the next fortnight. School ends go down to the car park, jump into the car with Graham and the other five family members that he has, and we roll around to his parents' place, we hang out, and then they set up the table, and we have dinner together. I'm not sure if you've ever been to a larger family, family gathering, maybe a part of a large family, but it can be quite the circus. I come from a large family, so like it's on. It's on trying to find your rhythm, trying to find your place. And I remember sitting uh, around this table on this particular night, just feeling a little bit lost, going, where's my spot? But then I remember Graham's parents starting to ask really directed questions at me, like the real get to know you questions. And all of a sudden, I felt like I'm under the, under the pressure here. I got to answer every single question because everyone is looking at me. The meal ended, we packed up, jumped in the car, and we headed off to life group. Two weeks later, I repeat that process again, and I repeat it again and again and again and again and again. And I did this for the next 12 months. Every Tuesday fortnight, family dinner at Graham's house. But what I noticed was that their table was always open. Like if I was in the proximity, like if I'm in the neighborhood, the invite was always there to come to the table. And one of the things that I noticed about the way that this family did life was that the table was always open. 
It was never full. There wasn't a density limit of how many people could be around the table. Matter of fact, I have this one memory where there's like five other classmates sitting at this family dinner, 12 people having dinner together. It was crazy. But you know what? There was always room for another person. And as I reflect on, I guess, this experience with this family sitting around the table, you know, as I kept coming to the table, the more I felt noticed, the more I felt I was known. I felt like I mattered and I had this sense of belonging that I wasn't just an outsider at this table, but I was an extension of the family. And you know what? It's the same with God. God invites us to his table. He invites us into relationship and connection with him. And when we accept that invitation to come and to be at the table with him, we too can experience a sense of belonging. We can feel like we are known and that we are noticed. And that's because everyone is welcome at the table. And as people of faith, we are to make room at the table for all people. Yeah, when it comes to making room at the table for others, sometimes it's going to require a little bit of effort. It's going to require a little bit of work. It's going to require a level of intentionality. Matter of fact, making room at the table could make you feel uncomfortable because it changes up maybe the system or the dynamics that you've built your life or family on. And for us to be people who make room at the table, We might need to move past some things. The first thing we might need to move past is ourselves. Move past our selective nature of who we want to associate with. If we're to make room at the table, we might need to move past our preconceived ideas that we've made about other people. If we're to make room at the table, we might need to move past some internal beliefs around what we believe to be important in the treatment of other people. And today, uh, in the time that I have with you, we're going to be continuing our series at the table, where we've been looking at this, this concept of like God's kingdom is like a table, where everybody is welcome, where everybody has a seat. And today, as we continue the series, we're going to be looking at, well, how can we make room at the table? How can we make room for others. And we're going to be looking at a story that goes down in Luke chapter 7, where Jesus is having a conversation with a religious leader at the time known as a Pharisee. And he's not just having a conversation with this man, but he's actually modeling, this is how you make room for others. I'd love you to grab your Bibles and read along with me. We're going to read from Luke chapter 7, from verse 36. And with those that maybe have got some devices, we're going to read from the Passion Translation, just to have a little bit of fun this morning. So how about you read along with me? This is what it says. Afterwards, Simon, a Jewish religious leader, a Pharisee, asked Jesus to his home for dinner. Jesus accepted the invitation. When he went to Simon's house, he took his place at the table. In the neighborhood, there was an immoral woman of the streets known to all to be a prostitute. When she had heard that Jesus was at Simon's house, she took an exquisite flask from alabaster, filled it with the most expensive perfume, went right into the home of the Jewish religious leader, and in front of all the guests, she knelt at the feet of Jesus. Broken and weeping, she covered his feet with tears that fell from her face. She kept crying and drying his feet with her long hair. Over and over, she kissed Jesus' feet. Then as an act of worship, she opened the flask and anointed his feet 
with costly perfume. When Simon saw what was happening, he thought, this man can't be a true prophet. If he were a true prophet, he would know what kind of sinful woman is touching him. Verse 40, Jesus said, I have a word for you. Go ahead, teacher. I want to hear it, he answered. It's a story about two men who were deeply in debt. One owed the bank $100,000 and the other owed $10,000. When it was obvious that neither of them would be able to repay their debts, the kind banker graciously wrote off all their debts and forgave them of all that they owed. Tell me, Simon, which of these two debtors would be more thankful? Which one would love the banker the most? Simon answered, I suppose it would be the one with the greater debt forgiven. You're right, Jesus agreed. Then he spoke to Simon about the woman that was still weeping at his feet. Do you, do you see this woman kneeling here? She is doing for me what you didn't bother to do. When I entered your home as a guest, you didn't, even, you didn't think about offering me water to wash the dust off my feet. Yet she came into your home, washed my feet with many tears, and then dried my feet with her hair. You didn't even welcome me into your home with a customary kiss of greeting. But from that moment I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't take the time to anoint my head with a fragrant oil, but she anointed my head and my feet with the finest perfume. She has been forgiven for all her many sins. This is why she has shown me such extravagant love. But those who assume they have little to be forgiven will love me very little. Then Jesus said to the woman at his feet, all your sins are forgiven. All the dinner guests said among themselves, who is the one who can forgive sins? Then Jesus said to the woman, your faith in me has given you life. Now leave and walk in the ways of peace. You know, from this story, I, I just want to draw out three things that we can do to make room for others. The first thing is this, if you're writing notes, I'd love you to write this down, is this, embrace the interruption. You know, we see Jesus be a guest in this story. He's a guest at the, the Pharisee's house and word gets out that Jesus is in the neighborhood. Now, Jesus had a bit of a reputation. He was a man in demand in these days. People wanted to see him. People wanted to experience him for themselves. And so Jesus is sitting in this Pharisee's house, relaxing, reclining, having a bit of time to himself, having some time with this Pharisee. When this woman, as we read about in verse 37, goes straight in. She doesn't knock at the door. She doesn't push a doorbell. She just goes straight into the space where Jesus is sitting. Now, this is not an, an unusual situation to an extent. It's not unusual as a public figure like Jesus to kind of be in someone else's home. And it's not unusual when someone like Jesus or a public figure was present in someone else's home that the door, the front door would be ajar so that people could see in, could see the conversation, see and hear for themselves. But it is unusual for someone like this woman who has been deemed as a sinner to come so close to Jesus. Because usually someone of her character, someone of her nature would not even have access to a home of this Pharisee. You would be left outside. You would be left on the fringe. But she's gone around the system. She's gone around the process to get to Jesus, to wash his feet, to pour perfume over his feet. And when this goes down, Jesus could have responded like in a whole variety of ways. Like imagine being him. This is quite the interruption 
someone has just taken off your footwear and started to wash your feet. It's not like you're going to be like, gee, my feet feel a little bit odd today. No, no, you're going to notice that someone is washing your feet. And he could have responded like in a whole series of ways. He could have come to this woman and said, okay, um, thank you. This just isn't a great time. Or he could respond in another way, be like, really? Like, Like, is it really that bad? Like, why didn't anyone in this room tell me it was that bad? Why did someone have to come outside and say, look, it's pretty bad. I'm going to wash your feet. No, like, he doesn't respond like that. He doesn't push her away and say, "Uh, excuse me, it's after five. No, it's after hours. I don't interact with people after five o'clock. No, I am done for the day. I'm going to be out again tomorrow. Meet me at the town square at 11. He doesn't respond like that. He doesn't respond in a way where he dismisses the interruption. He doesn't push her away. He doesn't get caught up in who he is or who he's hanging out with. He lets the woman wash his feet. He lets the woman pour perfume over his feet. He lets the woman worship him. He didn't ignore the interruption. Matter of fact, from this engagement, we read in the story at the end in verse 48 that Jesus forgives this woman for all of her sins. And that's because Jesus is in the business of restoring people's lives at any time, at any location. There was not a clock off time for him. He is prepared to move. He's prepared to interact with people at any time, at any location. He embraces the interruption. He's not caught up in who he is. He's not caught up with the company that he's rolling with in that day. He embraces the interruption. And if we're going to make room for others at the table, if we're going to make room for others to sit at the table, maybe we too need to embrace the interruption. Because an interruption can come at any time. An interruption can come from anyone. So the question is this, how will we respond when we get interrupted? How will we respond? Because what we see in this story is a Jesus that regardless of the time of day, regardless of who you are, regardless of your history, what you've done, he's prepared to embrace you. He's prepared to interact with you. Yet I wonder if we're to make room at the table, what would it look like for us not to ignore the interruption, but to embrace it, to embrace who, to embrace what comes along our path and invite people to say, hey, come on, take your place at the table. Because here's what we know. There's always room at the table. The table's never full. So who can we invite? Who can we bring to the table? Who can we make room for at the table? Regardless of the interruption, regardless of how we do things, will we make room for others? The second thing when it comes to making room at the table that I want to point out is this. We make room without conditions. We make room without conditions about who can come to the table. You know, when you arrive at the table, there isn't like, here's a set of terms and conditions. Here's the terms and conditions that you need to abide by to sit at this table. And this is what makes this story more challenging for this Pharisee, because this woman who's entered his house, he would never have in his home. He wouldn't welcome her in. He wouldn't be hospitable to her. He wouldn't even be uh, want to associate himself to her. And the Pharisees see this kind of play out, you know, the woman washing, uh, Jesus' feet, 
And he's thinking to himself in verse 37, if Jesus is a true prophet, then he wouldn't let this act of worship happen at all. But in response to the Pharisees' thoughts, Jesus tells him a story about two people, two people that were in significant debt and how a banker generously wrote off their debt. He tells this story to illustrate that anyone is able to have their debt paid. And whatever that debt represents, they are able to be forgiven. They are able to start again. And he tells this story to make a point that there are no conditions that when it comes to Jesus, there are no extensive background checks on how you've lived your life. There isn't a list of things you, may, you must and must not do. There isn't um, membership or subscription fees that you need to pay annually, monthly or weekly. No, no, there are no conditions for you to come to the table. And by Jesus telling this story to this Pharisee, he is challenging him, you cannot be overly selective about who you interact with. You can't be overly selective about who you invite to the table. Because you know what? This Pharisee actually had, didn't have an invitation problem. Matter of fact, he would only invite people that he respected, but no one else. If he didn't respect you, there wasn't a place for you. But Jesus challenges that. Matter of fact, Jesus calls out his double standards of his hospitality, saying, you know what? This woman has actually been more hospitable than you. It goes down, verse 44 to verse 47. We'll read it again. Do you see this woman kneeling here? She is doing for me what you didn't bother to do. When I entered your home as a guest, you didn't think about offering me water to dust off my feet. Yet she came into your home, washed my feet with her many tears, and then dried my feet with her hair. You didn't even welcome me into your home with a customary kiss of greeting. But from that moment I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. Verse 46, you didn't take the time to anoint my head with a fragrant oil, but she anointed my head and feet with the finest perfume. Once again, Jesus is highlighting to us, we can't be conditional about when and who we invite to the table. And maybe today the Lord wants to challenge us all to drop the conditions, to drop the conditions that we've put in about who and when people sit around the table, not just metaphorically, but even physically. Because what we see here is a Jesus that is inclusive and not exclusive. We have a Jesus who's looking for who he could bring in and not leave out. We're seeing a Jesus that's not overly selective about who can come to the table because the table isn't just for some people. The table is for all people. So who will we make room for? Who will we make room for at the table? Who will we invite in? Regardless of the cost, regardless of maybe who we associate with, who are we going to make room for at the table? The third thing is this, is to go against the norm. You know, throughout this, this mealtime conversation, Jesus is challenging this Pharisee. But you know what? I actually think it's to go one step further. It's actually meant to challenge us too. It's not just to be a story that stays in the book, but actually something that impacts how we live our lives. You know, we see Jesus embrace this woman in verse 48 and forgive her of all of her sins. This is against the norm. It was the opposite of those that witnessed this 
this mealtime conversation. It's the opposite of what they knew. It was the opposite of how they did things. And you know what? You got people talking. They're like, how does Jesus have the power to do this? How does he have the authority to forgive people of all of their mistakes, all of their wrongdoings? It was so countercultural to what they knew and how they behaved. Yet when we look at the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is pretty countercultural. Pretty countercultural to what we know here on earth. And if we're going to make room at the table, maybe we need to go against the norm. Maybe we need to go against what we know or how we've historically done things. And look at how Jesus did things and apply it so that others can take their seat at the table. Yet what I notice as I continue to read this story over and over again, we see a Jesus that isn't selective, but we see a Jesus that is incredibly inclusive. He was looking who he could bring in and not leave out. Yet I wonder is, maybe we take a moment to reflect on our lives. Are we overly selective? Have we become overly selective about who we do life with? Who we reach out to? Or are we looking to be inclusive? Looking at who we could bring in? Who can we bring into faith? Who can we bring into maybe our social settings and our friendship groups? Who could we bring in to our life groups? And I wonder as we reflect, if I could take it one step further, are we more like a Pharisee, being overly selective about who we associate with and interact with? Or are we becoming more like Jesus, looking for the opportunity to include everyone? Yet if there's only one thing you remember out of everything that we talk about today, I want you to remember this one thing, even write it down, and it's this. There's always room for one more. There's always room for one more at the table. The table hasn't hit its density limit. There are still plenty of seats up for grabs. We're not running out of seats anytime soon. The table is for everyone. So who can you bring? Who can you bring to the table? And I sense that this message isn't just about, you know, making room for those that don't know Christ, even though that's incredibly important. But I really feel impressed on my heart that this is about making room for everyone, making room for anyone, making room in our life groups, making room in our social settings, continuing to be a community that looks outwardly instead of inwardly, looking out, who can I bring in? And not looking just in, no longer being exclusive, but being inclusive. And when I think about uh, people that do this really well, uh, I've got a friend and his name's Hayden. And Hayden I've known since uh, I was 18. And Hayden, I would say, is like Captain Invitation. Like, he has a reputation uh, in uh, our friendship circle that he's the guy sending out all the invites. And uh, I was reminded of this uh, two years ago when we went back to Melbourne for Christmas. Our family's originally uh, from Melbourne, and uh, we go back uh, most years, unless COVID's flying around, then we don't really go anywhere. Um, and we went back, and I remember pulling up at his house, and uh, as we pulled up, this other car pulled up next to us. And 
I like being an extrovert, so I like talking to people. And so I kind of like, I say hi and like introduce myself and you know what? Plenty of people come to his house all the time, so it's probably not his first time here, but I introduce myself. Hey, I'm Dubsy. Like, how are you? This is my wife, Laura. At that point, we only had um, Ezra and Tay was a baby. So I was like, here's our family. Tell me about your family. And I was like, God, how many of these have you been to? And he goes, oh, it's actually my first one. And in the back of my mind, I went, of course it is. And he goes, Hayden texted me this week saying, you've got to come. We're going to have a Christmas bash up on the hill. Now, like Christmas bashes for us is no, like it's, it's not just a small gathering. It's bordering on a festival. There's like 30 or 40 adults and everybody's kids. Like it's, it's just chaos on this uh, massive property, but it's so much fun. But every time I've come to that Christmas gathering and came to other social things that Hayden's at, there's always someone I don't know. There's always someone that he's looked to bring with him. An old school friend, someone that's from his kid's school, someone from the church that he goes to. He's just constantly looking for who can he bring in. He challenges me to keep looking out. He challenges me to keep looking out to see who can I invite, who can I bring to the table. You know, in my preparation for uh, today, I felt like the Lord showed me a picture. And it was a picture that involved this table. And I felt like in my preparation for this message, I saw this setup. And this setup, you could say, is is like quite an open setup, like plenty of room, it's nice. But the image that I felt like the Lord showed me was a, a different type of image. It was an image like this. We're pretty much, there's someone sitting at the table, but it was closed off to everybody else. There's room. But it was closed off. I felt like the Lord wanted to challenge us to look up, to look around, and to take notice of who's not at the table. To look around to see who's maybe by themselves. And instead of the table being closed off because, you know, life's pretty good. People I associate with, that's pretty good. But to actually move the seat back to a position and posture of openness. And that we would be people that embrace the interruption. That we would be people that drop whatever conditions we've put on for people to be at the table. Maybe go against the norm of how we've done things. Because there's room. There's always room at the table. So who can we bring in? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much that you're here. Father, we thank you that you're challenging all of us. You're challenging us to to look out and to not look in. God, thank you that 
Your table doesn't have fluctuating density limits about how many people can sit here. But it's a table that has an endless cap. And you know, I'd love to just pray for people right now that maybe as I just shared that word, if you're honest with yourself, you'd say, you know what? I'm probably contributing to a closed table. Sometimes it's not even intentionally. It's just, oh yeah, you just do what's safe and comfortable. But I just sense today,